Section 1 of Northern Trails, Book 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Melissa Jean. Northern Trails, Book 2. By William J. Long. In Quest of Waptonk the Wild, Part 1. A vast and lonely barren, covered deep with soft-colored mosses, and surrounded by gloomy spruce woods, lies basking in the early morning sunshine. The first sea-wind has just come to call it, swinging a fragrant censer over the earth and rolling up the mists that have covered it all night long. Under this fleecy, vanishing coverlet, the plain seems to stir and breathe deep of the morning incense, then stretch itself drowsily, like a grey wolf just awake. Here and there little ponds or flashlets of shallow water blink and quiver in the light like sleepy eyes or rest in soft winding shadows like the features and wrinkles of a grey weather-beaten face silence broods over it taking visible shape in the form of a solitary woods raven that hangs motionless high in air on sable outstretched wings no sign of life moves on the tranquil face of the earth or water no sound breaks the restful stillness save the cheeping of young plover hiding in the grey moss and a low surge like a sound in a dream drifting over distant woods from where the waves break ranks on the unnamed shoals. And here, unexpectedly, as good things come at last, was the end of my long quest to find the home of Waptonk the wild goose. Ever since childhood I had sought him. In the spring he had always called to me from the high heavens, and something in the ring of his bugle call, something in the sight of that living arrowhead driving steadily northward, and something perhaps in his wild heart, which found answer in the heart of a boy who had to stay on the farm while his soul was away to the wilderness. All these sights and sounds and unknown longings had bound me to the trail of Waptonk the Wild, and made me resolve some day to follow him, and find out what it was that called him northward, when brooks were free and big woods budding, and the spring impulse was in the heart of all living things. Later Waptonk had called to me again from the same heavens, but now the arrow had pointed southward, and the flight was altogether different. The lines of the wedge wavered, and were often broken. It held closer to earth, and was less certain in its magnificent onward rush. And the clear, full-throated bugle calls that had thrilled the boy's heart with their springtime clangor gave place to a curious, communicative chatter, in which almost every note rose at the end to a falsetto. Now and then a strong, clear note, deeper and more peremptory, would sound at the head of the wedge, and instantly the wings would cackle in answer and swing into better line. But the cry had lost much of its joy and utter freedom, as the flight had lost its power and its swift certainty. I did not know then, in the autumn days, that these were mostly young birds which had never before followed the long trail, that at the head of every wedge was one of the old birds pointing out the headlands by which they shaped their course, that the flight was less certain because the goslings had not yet reached their full power and must rest by the way and that the cry was less stirring because spring no longer called them away by its throbbing love-life and by the sweet home memories of quiet nesting places of the far northland. Rather they were driven away from the things they loved, and now the security of the great, free, lonely wilderness must give place to constant watchfulness in a hostile land, where danger lurked and roared out upon them from every point and bay and feeding ground. No wonder the flight wavered, no wonder the young voices rose to falsetto in amazement at the change from the quiet little pond which had been all their world, to the vast panorama of seas and mountains and cities of men spread wide beneath their wings. 
then in the autumn days the boy like all the rest of the male population in whom something of the old savage lingered under its code of civilization felt the hunter stir within him and saw visions and dreamed dreams when the wild goose call from the heavens came down to him as a kind of challenge when the weather was stormy and the flight was low the boy would climb stealthily out of the rear window of the barn with a forbidden old musket close to his breast keeping the barn between his own line of flight and the kitchen windows he would head across the brown fields into the woods holding steadily and swiftly on his way to the little widow dunkles who kept an old grey goose sometimes he begged sometimes he bribed and sometimes when flight was irresistible and the window away from home he simply appropriated what he wanted with all his heart there would be a rush among the fowls squawking and quacking of hens and ducks and one wild clarion yell from the old grey leg goose as she found herself in chancery then the boy would scoot and dodge away to the big pond in the woods with the old musket at his trail and the old grey goose gripped tight under his elbow conk conking her resentment but sensible enough as all geese are when you take them right next scene in the little comedy a boy hidden in the grass and bushes of a lonely point scanning the heavens as if at any moment they might open and let wonders fall and in front of him an old grey goose with one foot anchored to a brick swimming about and tip-tilting her tail to the skies as she splashed and probed the bottom for roots gravelling herself like a whole flock of geese in her wonder and delight at her strange surroundings and when at last the wild geese came and out of the sky came tumbling down the stirring clangour how the centuries of domestic servitude fell away from the old grey leg like a useless garment tugging at the stupid brick with outstretched neck and quivering wings she recognised her own people and sent up a wild cry to call them down to share her loneliness perhaps who knows to come and take her away with them then the boy hugging himself and holding his breath and loving the old goose supremely for her help would lie still as a stone only his eyes moving to follow the flight of the wild birds and see if they would come down to his bidding generally the wedge kept steadily on straight and true to its course but every head was bent to bugle down an answer to the captive then the boy's heart was touched in turning away from the high flight to watch his old grey leg beating her useless wings struggling after her kindred as far as the anchor string would allow she would call and call and all the wilderness of the lonely northland was in her appealing summons long after the clangour had died away to a faint crackle and vanished in immeasurable distance she would sit listening with neck upstretched hearing and in her heart answering the call which had died away on the boy's less sympathetic ears after that there would be no more joyous gabbling from Greyleg. she would swim about silently now pecking angrily at the restraining string now raising her head to look and listen for her wild kindred till twilight fell sadly on the pond and she would go home mute and passive under the boy's arm again one stormy day great luck headed towards the boy and made his heart jump at the thought of at last meeting the grey wanderers of the upper air that had so often set his heart a-longing a great gang of wild geese flying lower than usual with the sides of their wedge broken by the sleet and irregular from weariness passed near the pond on their southern migration their faint confused honking roused all the wild longing in the heart of old greyleg something too in their call which she seemed to understand made her sure they would come this time and that she would know at last what the longing in her old heart meant as she raised herself on her poor wings and sent out her clamorous appeal the wild leader stopped 
and the long wedge seemed to tumble together in a dense mass of cackle and confusion. Then the leader whirled. Above the clamor came the deep honk of authority. The lines formed swiftly, with marvelous precision, and straight up the pond to the boy's hiding place they came. A glorious big wedge of birds, honking, honking, in joy, at so good a resting place, and nearly taking the heart out of old Greyleg, as she clamored and tugged at her anchor, and beat the water with her wings. Then all by himself the boy saw a bit of Waptonk's drill school, which old geese hunters on the coast have looked for so many years in vain. High overhead they came till over the middle of the pond, when the leader whirled sharply to the right. The right-hand side of the wedge whirled after him, while the left wing halted, and then turned in behind the leaders, in a single long line. Every wing was now set stiffly. The clangor suddenly ceased, and down they came, round and around in a beautiful spiral, as if sliding down on an invisible, winding staircase. Following the big leader came the long, magnificent line, which swung in a complete curve above him, and half around the circle again, all with set wings and outstretched necks, gliding, wheeling, curving, steadily downward in perfect order and perfect silence. It was marvelous, the grace, the precision, the impressive silence of the stately procession down the spiral staircase of the winds, and the boy forgot the hunter in his intense wonder and admiration. One by one, the great birds dropped their black-webbed feet and slid gently along just over the surface for a brief moment, and then dropped with a quiet, restful splash into the water. An instant later they had swung together, and a low, eager chatter began among them. Now old Greyleg alone had been unimpressed by this wonderful descent, for other things were stirring wildly in her lonely heart. All the while they were coming down, so silent and stately, she kept up an hysterical crackle with a wild beating of pinions, and a frantic tugging at the anchor as she strove mightily to join her kindred, as they swung together with necks up suspiciously for no wild waterfowl likes any welcome or demonstration beyond the universal uplifting of wings, she ceased her wild struggle and called softly. Instantly the leader answered, and the whole flock drew in steadily towards the shore. Behind the rough screen of grass and bushes, the boy's heart began to beat loudly as he clutched his long musket. The hunter was wide awake again, and here were the geese, great splendid birds that never before were nearer than the heavens, almost within gunshot, driving steadily nearer and calling as they came on. In front of him, the old grey goose, full of a nameless excitement, jabbered back at the flock and swung rapidly in small circles about her anchor. Her excitement increased. The flock halted, wavered, veered aside. Then the heart of the old goose went after them in a wild honk, with a break in it like the fall of a tin pan, a tug, a plunge, a flurry of wings. The anchor string snapped, and away she went, half flying, half running over the water, and plunged in among the wild birds, in a smother of spray. In an instant she was swallowed up in a dense circle of grey backs and slender black necks with white cheek patches, and the whole flock drew swiftly away into open water, cackling and jabbering softly with the nasal conk a conk of old grey legs sounding incessantly above the hushed chatter of her wild kindred. Late that day, after waiting long, cold hours, in the vain hope that they would come near my hiding-place, I pushed out sadly in a leaky old tub of a boat to catch the widow Dunkel's goose. The flock took alarm while I was yet far away, slanted heavily upwind to the treetops, where with much calling and answering 
the young birds fell into line and the wedge bore away swiftly seaward after them went old greylag heartbroken beating her heavy way over the water calling and calling again to the flock that had now become only a confused tangle of wild voices over the treetops straight to the shore she went and across a little wild meadow still following the flock when i caught her she was waddling bravely through the woods stopping anon to call and listen but she made no resistance when i tucked her under my elbow and carried her home and slipped her unobserved into the darkness into her accustomed place at the widow dunkel's duck coop that was the nearest i ever came in boyhood days to a close acquaintance with wapton the wild but always in the fall his voice roused the hunter as no other sound ever did and always in the spring his clanging jubilate aroused the longing in the boy's heart to follow after him and find out what it was in the wild lonely north that called him later as a hunter i grew acquainted with many of his winter ways watched him feeding on the shoals or standing for sleep on the lonely sandbars and thrilled to the rustling sweep of his broad wings as he swung over my decoys End of section 1